So if you want to change your name, you have to sue the government. Okay. And the government will approve it eventually if you, you have to go for like a medical panel and a medical panel will be like, okay, you have to have bottom surgery and you have to have a hysterectomy and you have to remove your ovaries. That is, that is required for you to change your name. Well, hello, 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 folks. Welcome to the Queer Family Podcast, the show all about family, but with gay. My name is Jamie, and I'm your host, and you are tuning in to the show whose mission is and always has been to highlight, uplift, normalize, and celebrate LGBTQIA plus families in all of our beautiful, glorious identities and how we show up in the world. And today we're doing just that, just that with today's guest, Stefan. I sat down with Stefan to kind of talk about a couple of things. Stefan wanted to come on and raise awareness about the fact that being on testosterone does not necessarily mean that you cannot procreate from your own body. And Stefan had a story to tell, so we went into that. Stefan is also from Transylvania and gives one of my favorite elevator pitches, I think, ever. I'm not going to say anything else. Um, I am going to let Stefan tell Stefan's story. I'm very excited to share it with you. But before I do, I do want to stop for a second and do our queer conundrum segment. So if you have a queer conundrum, what is a queer conundrum? Those little things, and really what I'm looking for is queer family conundrums, but I'll take queer conundrums too. Those little uh, microaggressions and sometimes macroaggressions that we queer folks face showing up in the world as families that our non-queer counterparts don't necessarily face, don't necessarily deal with. Sometimes they're light and funny, and sometimes they're not funny at all. And they are all real, and they are all true, and I want to highlight them. So I want you to call me. Call me. Call me on the phone. You can leave a voicemail, or you can even send a text to 646-470-1840. I wish I had a cool, like, you know, when you can spell the words out, whatever that's called, but I don't. It's just a number, so you're just going to have to memorize it. Call in. Tell me your queer conundrums. And here's one. This one is coming from Emily. Emily says, this is a short one, and it's not a happy one. Emily says, people have followed my wife into the bathroom to ask if she is biologically female. Well, there it is. That's a queer conundrum. How dare, like, come on, right? I don't think our our non-queer counterparts get asked that question regularly. So thank you, Emily. That is definitely a queer conundrum. And thank you for sharing. And that's bullshit. Pardon my French, but that's bullshit. So you go ahead with your bad selves and you keep showing up in whatever bathroom you need to. Okay? Tell them Jamie said so. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I don't even know. I have my own queer conundrum to share. And this one is because we just saw the Barbie movie, which if, if you haven't seen it, it's really actually a fun movie and it, you know, exposes the patriarchy and it does all these things. And I had a really fun time. I took my nine-year-old daughter, Rose, to see it. 
And one of my favorite parts of this movie is that every time they're in their Barbie car driving somewhere, <laughs> closer to fine from the Indigo Girls place. <laughs> and then like whoever's in the car, the women, or like one guy, Alan, sings along, which is so amazing because that's what you do to that song. You and your, it's like the most lesbian thing you could possibly do. If you are a lesbian who lived in the 90s, you drove in the car with your friends and sang that song. And so it was like super funny. And I kept laughing every time it happened. And Rose was like, what's so funny? I don't get it. I don't get it. And so I told her, this is like the most lesbian song ever. And she was like, oh, oh. And then fast forward to last week, we're driving her to camp, sleepover camp. And Closer to Fine comes on. And so me and Anne started singing it. And I'm like, Rose, remember, this is the, the song from the movie. And to warm my heart, here's a queer conundrum for you. Not a conundrum. It's just an uplifting queer story. To warm my heart, she started singing along and we had car singing along party moment. It was amazing. We were all smiling. It was just, thanks Barbie for creating that memory for me because I'll never forget it. And I think that that is going to be a song we sing in the car for a while going forward. So, mm. And there is no video for this episode because Stefan has asked that we protect his privacy. And so we're doing just that. But you can catch a lot of other video episodes on our YouTube channel. And what's better now, I have special playlists broken up into themes. So if you are really trying to look for a bunch of adoption stories or foster to adopt stories, if you are looking for surrogacy stories, I got a playlist for that. If you are looking for mainly lesbian stories, I got a playlist for that. You get the gist. I have playlists, themes, so you can listen to episodes that pertain to the particular thing you want to focus on. I have to say one more thing, one more thing before I roll the tape. I have to thank our newest Patreon members. Thank you so much. Emily Heron, Emily you rock my world. Melissa Schull. Melissa, come on, Melissa. I love you. And Lene Sawinski. I hope I said that right, but that's pretty. Lene Sawinski. I like it. Thank you so much for joining my Patreon. If you've got a couple extra bucks sitting around in your pocket, go ahead over there, pick a tier, and join my Patreon too. Thank you for tuning in. I want to roll the tape. Helen and Beulah, my fake assistants, want to roll the tape. And I'm just so happy and honored that you continue to show up and listen. You watch the episodes on YouTube. You know, you know where to follow me at the Queer Family Podcast on all the platforms. And I appreciate you immensely. So thank you for doing that. All right. That's it. I love you all. Thank you for tuning in. Helen and Beulah, please roll that tape, ladies. I love you so much. Roll that tape. I keep looking to the left like they're there. They're not. There's nobody there. I'm all alone. Rolling the tape. Roll the tape. <laughs> Queer Family Podcast. Love is love. Hi, Stefan. Hi, Jamie. How are you? I am good. It is so wonderful to have you here. We just had a little tutorial on saying your name, Stefan. It's very beautiful. I love it. I'm going to say it for days to come now, Stefan. I have a friend named Stefan, so I'm just going to start calling him Stefan. I'm, I'm the original Stefan with the accent. You're the, like You're the OG. You're the OG, Stefan. Okay, well, you know what? Let's just get right into this. I'm going to, we're going to do your 30 second elevator pitch so the guests at home can know who you are and why you're here talking to the Queer Fam Squad. I'm going to put a little timer up, but don't you worry. You can run over. I will never, ever, ever cut you off. 
It's just all in good fun. Okay, here we go. On your mark, get set, go. So I'm originally from Transylvania. Not a vampire, just a trans guy. <laughs> I recently underwent egg freezing after nine years of being on testosterone. I'm married to the most amazing woman in the world, and we have a cat. And I'm here to spread kind of my story out so that other trans guys potentially go through the same option. Booyah. That was it? You're, you did it yep. all. Stefan, I'm amazed at you. That was Oof. 25 seconds. You, you're winning. You just won the season. That's all I have to say. You're the first person who hasn't gone over, I think, this season. <laughs> Good job. All right. Okay. Transylvania. Transylvania. Real place. It's a part of Romania. It's a real place. I swear. It is. It is. And um, your opening was kind of my favorite one this season, too. From Transylvania, not a vampire, just trans. That is, I yep. feel like that should go, like, on your tombstone <laughs> at the end. Like it's, like, it's just so beautiful, succinct, and to the point. I love it. Keep on mind. You know what? Thank you for joining. And I'm really, really excited to just delve into your story. So... Stefan started in Transylvania. Do you want to talk a little bit about, I don't know, like coming into your own as a young Stefan in Transylvania? Sure, sure. Yeah. I always knew I was, I, I guess, not necessarily trans, but I was identified as male. Mm -hmm. When I grew up back in, you know, 90s, I'm a 90s baby there. Nice. And in my country, nobody talked about the word trans, like even like uh, the LGBT community was just not visible. Not uh -huh. that it is now too much, but it was just something very forbidden. Long story short, I started testosterone off the black market. Oh, As wow. many other people uh, in my country. Of course, I did as much as, you know, due diligence as I could, but, you know, healthcare things were still limited. The moment I knew I would start testosterone, the consensus or like the myth in the trans community was very much, once you start T, you're infertile. That's it. Right. You're yeah. done. Mm -hmm. But that's not true. No. That's just not true. Right. When I started, I was initially okay with that decision. But the more I was on testosterone in Romania, at some point, I wanted to change my name there to just, you know, uh -huh. kind of have my appearance match my, my gender. And I was also kind of getting a lot of like issues with, you know, being refused out of banks, for instance, mm. because suddenly my name was not matching my, my appearance and there's only so much you can do. Yeah. But the problem is that the name process requires you to go through mandatory sterilization, what? which I was not okay. Wait. Yes. <laughs> let me, let me back yeah. here. I know it sounds shocking. <laughs> so if you want to change your name, you have to sue the government. Okay. And the government will approve it eventually if you, you have to go for like a medical panel and a medical panel will be like, okay, you have to have bottom surgery and you have to have a hysterectomy and you have to remove your ovaries. That is, that is required for you to change your name. Why? Because the laws are very predated to times where, you know, things like homosexuality was not okay. Right. Certain ideas about like how people should be. Mm -hmm. And a country... You know, it's a beautiful country, don't get me wrong. I have a lot of people who I love there, lots of things that I love. But the laws themselves for LGBT people are still very conservative and yeah. it affects our, our being. Yeah, I would say so. If, if you have to sterilize yourself 
to live your authentic self. Yeah. Ooh, that's heavy. There's also not options because, you know, when, you, when you're looking at like the healthcare system for trans people in Romania, it, it does not really exist. It's very much, maybe you have a couple of doctors who might know about it. Within the community, because it's a much smaller community than maybe in the U.S., I cannot really compare because, you know, we, it's just much more open open here compared to Romania, where it's very much hidden. Mm-hmm. But within the community, at some point, we kind of had like a list of like different cities of like doctors who like take trans patients, who like work with trans patients, who are, you know, trans friendly, who know about it. And that kind of worked in our favor yeah. because that's how you can get some healthcare, but you're still kind of blocked when it comes to like changing your name. Right. And can I ask you, how old were you when you started T? 23, yeah. Okay. 23, yeah. How does one get it on the black market in Transylvania? You just ordered it online. Oh, okay. <laughs> yep. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I get that the, the country is not behind this and the laws are not behind trans folks or LGBTQ folks in general. Uh, how about your family? Did they know about the tea or yes you know so like they kind of always knew about me but uh classic romanian family we're just not going to talk about it you mm-hmm. know we're just going to go the middle way and you don't bring it up we're not talking about it and everything is great right but at at some point when i appeared with a beard my father asked my mother it's like uh what's going on there like <laughs> can we talk about this and uh, when I brought my, my then-girlfriend, now-wife, home for dinner, you know, there was a certain respect. Like, it was kind of unspoken but understood, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. which I'm very grateful for that upbringing. But that is not necessarily the story for many other people. So uh, I right. kind of lucked out. But mm-hmm. my story also started very early. I always identified as male. I was kind of lucky to be assumed, even pretty sometimes, male. So then it wasn't as a shock of, oh, you know, he's growing a beard now. It's, you know, it is what it is. Like from young childhood, you just identify as as male and your family was good with it and supported it and just kind of went, sounds like went along with it. Tolerated, put it it like this. Like there was definitely support in some ways, but I think, put it differently, they were very overwhelmed. Mm Mm-hmm. By the idea, even I did not know what it, what's being trans meant until I was much, much older, until I traveled for the first time to the U.S. and kind of gathered the vocabulary, understood like what my care would involve, the steps and so on. And then I went back and actually went through the steps. Right. They didn't really know what was going on. So, but they were still okay. It's, it's, it's hard to explain it. It's one of those things, I don't understand you, but I still love you. Mm-hmm. I understand why you say you're lucky. I get that. 100% because, you know, some folks lose their families, but that is, I guess that's a great outcome then, right? You, you still yes. have your family and the love and support of them, which is beautiful. Okay. So name change, it happened or it didn't happen? It did not happen. No. And the reason for that is also because I kind of want to hold off and challenge. I changed my name in the US, put it like mm-hmm. this. There are some options where with like my naturalization process and like having U.S. citizenship, I could change my name, but not my marker. Uh huh. Even though the legislation says that you have to have a very gender specific name, like you cannot change it. I could potentially change my name to something more neutral. Uh huh. That is accepted. In the U.S. now we're talking? 
No, in Romania. Like, okay, gotcha. I can use the US to change my name in, in Romania. Oh, okay. It's very complicated. <laughs> but at the same time, I don't want to do this. I still want to sue the government and challenge the medical panel because mm-hmm. it's a dehumanizing panel to go through that. And yeah. I have this option in the US to change my name, maybe through different means. But not everybody has immigrated. Not everybody has that chance. Not everybody has the chance to, you know, afford lawyers to to go through, through all the, the processes and, and so on. And I know that in a country where it's very gender norm specific, very, very heavily influenced with gender norms and expectations of how you should look like and, and so on, you know, not having your name match your appearance you know, you can be refused a job, you yeah. cannot have access to your bank accounts, and so on. So this is like something that will affect your life in, 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 in so many ways. Yeah. Yeah, that's tough. That's really tough. So what happened? Where do you go? Take me down the, the path of Stefan's journey. So I started the process. I was trying to use as, as many resources from the outside, like English resources from like the community and so to kind of understand my care. I knew that eventually I would have to leave Romania. I had initially a plan to go to Ireland uh, because I just had like some job offers there and it could have worked out. Ireland is, is much more LGBTQ friendly mm-hmm. than Romania was. Right. But then my plan got destroyed because my wife came to visit Romania and I was already madly in love with her many years ago. And she was just like, well, we kind of want to take the relationship to the next step. So maybe we should consider marriage. Okay. How'd you meet your wife? Where that? When did that happen? And when did she come in the picture? She came in 2010 in the picture. So I, I used to hang out with a lot of foreign volunteers who would come to Romania to help to work in different projects. Mm-hmm. And I was just kind of there, the friendly local who would be just like, yeah, speak to me in English so I can improve my English and uh-huh. I'll show you around. Uh-huh. And I'm curious about your culture and so on. Uh-huh. The only problem was, you know, in a setting like that, I'm not expecting anybody to speak Romanian. Right. And she does not look anything Romanian, like anything that I would expect. (laughs) She's American, but uh, her father is Romanian. uh, So, you know, she spoke the language. Mm -hmm. So I go into the setting with my friend who spoke broken Romanian, but still she speaks Romanian. (laughs) Mm -hmm. I'm just talking about her. I'm just like, oh my God, look how she's so beautiful. Uh, I am. She's so interesting. (laughs) She's looking over. She's smiling. She must be interested. And she keeps on smiling and smiling and smiling. And she's like, okay, can you be my wigman? Can you go talk to her and like see what she thinks? And she turns around to me. She's like, you have to stop talking right now. Because she she understood everything you said. She speaks Romanian. Oh my god! So <laughs> oh my god! Oh my god! It's amazing. I was completely embarrassed. Yeah, but it worked out. I mean, if somebody if uh, if somebody sees you in the most embarrassing moment of your life, it, it must work out. <laughs> <laughs> wow! Nothing happened that summer. No, we were just friends. Probably for the best, as we were very young. We were eighteen, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, trying to figure out our lives and so on. But we stayed friends and we stayed in touch. Uh, we we're one of those old school people who still write letters. Mm-hmm. So we would be sending international letters to each other. Then she's doing kind of like a volunteer project that was funded through her university. She's a veterinarian, so she's kind of trying to do like spay neutering projects abroad. Oh. She came back to Romania and I started tea. I was in a point where like I have to focus on this and she ruined my plan. Oh, so you met her before you had started tea? Yes. So the first time you met. Ah, okay. So she came back, magic happened. Then 
we were just like, okay, we want to take our relationship to the next level. I don't want to do long distance anymore. And it happened to be 2015, exactly the year where Obergefeller was passed uh-huh. and same-sex marriage was out there, which meant that we could actually get married because I didn't have my name change. Right. So my name and my marker were still female. Uh-huh. Because of this law, we were actually able to apply for a K-1 visa and I was able to like go to the U.S. Oh, so you come to the U.S. We're kind of like looking into the options of how to change my name. And I was like, is it possible? I don't know, because I had all that background and I knew that in Romania, that was not I I was not ready to make that commitment to like undergo surgery Mm -hmm. that would sterilize myself, even though. Technically, in my head, because of the testosterone, I thought that I would not have the the option to have children. Right, right. So for many years for me, I I think because I grew up to some extent in a society where you don't have visibility when it comes to like an LGBTQI community, and it's very much dictated how you should live your life, it kind of rubbed off on me. And internally, I never thought I would have children. I Mm -hmm. never thought that would be an option for me. But because I kind of worked in care projects with with foster children and and so on, I was like, you know, there's so many children out there who like need a home, might as well go through this option, you know, and that that's just gonna work out, right? Mm-hmm. Come to the US. I come to the US, I in order to get now testosterone in an official way, I have to go through like medical processes. And I have this fear of doctors almost oh. because I, I didn't have bad experience necessarily with doctors, but in Romania, many times I had to explain this. I had to, you know, like kind of walk them through. I had to kind of go through things like they were questioning my identity. They're just like, are you really who you are? And just mm-hmm. like, I'm trying to tell you, but you're not listening. Mm, that's terrible. In the U.S., very different experience. I had good care. I had to go through processes that I was not very comfortable with at that at that point. But it kind of worked out. It kind of worked out. I still ask the question, is testosterone making me infertile? Is there a chance for me to have biological children? Mm-hmm. I was mostly kind of intellectually curious mm-hmm. at that point. I was 20, 25, 26. So I was not in a place to like have children or anything. But I was just interested to see, is it an option? I just wanted an option. And right off the bat, they told me, that's a red flag. Testosterone, red flag. Mm. But you should check out, go to a fertility clinic. There's a couple in like New York. We're living in Ithaca at that point. So, you know, there's a couple couple in New York. Just try them out. See what they say. I'm like, absolutely not. I'm not going to do that. Like, not at this point. Maybe one day. No, no, no. Right. We're moving to Buffalo, even further out, which none of us knew what Buffalo would mean. Uh, but we we're just like, yeah, you know, all I knew was from history that the president got shot there. It must be safe, right? <laughs> sure. You'd be all right. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It was an okay experience. Not what I expected from the US and where I was kind of going in within like my own experience to kind of also be more accepting of myself, mm-hmm. be more part of the the community. It's a city where you have diversity like everywhere, but you don't have inclusion. Right. Yeah. There's a lot of places like that in the US, unfortunately. Yes, yes. Mm-hmm. And it was almost like drawn out, like as, as an example, I, I, I just remember like on the, the Western side of the city had a black community, the Eastern side had Latinx and new refugees mm. and everybody who was white was kind of living around in the suburbs, mm. which mm-hmm. I found kind of odd that it was like, so, you know, differentiated. 
Right. Because you're told this, you know, the U.S. is this melting pot that works. And and then you come to find out, wow, there's a lot of problems here, huh? Exactly. <laughs> and as, as somebody who came from Romania, a country that always put the U.S. on a pedestal, just like, okay, this is the better country. This is a country that, you know, has freedom and stuff. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. you know, you come here, it's like, well, you know, there's it's a bit more complicated than what mm-hmm. you, you might imagine. And so... Mm. But anyway, I got there. There were some like resources for trans people to like get continue my testosterone and so on. I found like a good health healthcare provider, like a primary care provider. And I'd asked again, and it's like, okay, what about fertility options? Do you know anything about T? Because the problem with testosterone is there's not enough research. We don't know one way or the other. Right. Could it create this? Potentially, but we don't have anything to like prove it or disprove it. They gave me the name of a clinic to to start my to look into fertility options. I was definitely not comfortable in Buffalo to go that, mm. mostly because I remember specifically going on on this website and it was very much like cis white heteronormative oriented. Not even yes. like we support LGBT couple, just like very much heteronormative. Right, and you don't want to put yourself through that. No, no. I mean, the last thing I, I want to do is like kind of being like that's that that space mm-hmm. and i was like okay no i'm i'm just i'm not considering it at, at this moment whatever we'll figure it out we'll maybe go to new york city mm-hmm. and so on and at this point you weren't even sure if you wanted kids or did you know you wanted kids it was kind of around like this time like 2018 when i realized i actually wanted biological children mm-hmm. because before that i was like i was kind of more curious see if there's options what we can do but what made what made the biggest difference for me, I lost my father in 2018. Oh, I'm sorry. And that's kind of what like pushed me to be like, oh, I think this is something important to me because I would like to see my parents and like my history and and everything in like a little human. Mm-hmm. And my wife was just like, I'll support you. Listen, if you give me the eggs, I'll carry, you know, mm-hmm. it's all good. That's amazing. But I was still at a point where in Buffalo... I could not, that was not an option for me to like mm-hmm. undergo the process and, and and so on. We moved to New York City. I, I took a job in New York City. My wife's from New York City, so kind of worked out nicely that we just kind of came back. And I found Mount Sinai. They have like mm-hmm. a great, like they have a transgender health uh, medicine. Uh, they have the Center of Transgender uh, Health Medicine. I think mm-hmm. that's what it's called. Okay. And they have... Tons of resources for surgeries, for fertility options, for everything you need. It was almost to the point where initially, because we moved here during the pandemic, I was kind of joking around that I have more doctors than friends at this point. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. Yeah. Once again, I have to go for like a couple of like gynecology procedures that I'm like, this is still something uncomfortable, but you know, hey rather be healthy i have the option here and i'm more comfortable here than i've been ever before at least they're they're educated about who you are and 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 how this procedure might feel to you right right and you know when you go on a website and you see right away they're actually advertising things like we we want to work with lgbtqi plus people uh this these are the resources okay you're educated you have spent some time like thinking about this and you're proactive yes. about it so i go for this procedure and at some point i have the conversation it's like okay i am potentially thinking about bottom surgery maybe also fertility i know there's no research what do we do do with the t what are my options i have a great doctor i mean all my doctors are great but this is one of she all of my doctors are great people like that 
And she's like, okay, let me give you a name. Let me give you a clinic. You should go there and contact this person. Just check check out your fertility uh, options there. We have had a case of a trans man who underwent through like egg retrieval. They used his egg, uh, eggs and his wife gave uh, a life birth. Right. And a man who had been on testosterone already. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So I was like, okay, that's the person I want to work with. Mm-hmm. So with them, I go to this place called RMA. And immediately the doctor walks me through the process in a manner that was very important to me that it wasn't just like, oh, sure, let's just have a transaction done. It wasn't transaction. It was more like, this is your body. This is what we can do. And we're cooperating here. Mm. It was Mm -hmm. very educationally led. Mm -hmm. It put me very much at ease. The vocabulary was was perfect. And it didn't feel like, oh my gosh, she's putting like a face or she's like trying to like be very careful what she's saying. No, right. it was very natural. And I was, I felt very much like I was being cared for as a human. And she knew specifically about this, this part of medicine, like health concerns that trans men were going through mm-hmm. that uh, made me trust her immediately. It's amazing. Yeah. You got to find the helpers, right? And uh, unfortunately... For the queer community, especially the trans community, they're few and far between, right? So it's harder to find the helpers and the ones who really not just talk the talk, but also walk the walk. Exactly. Because so many times, sure, you see flags and you see stickers. Wonderful. Great. We're starting to put the idea out there. But Mm -hmm. what does that actually mean in practice? Yeah. You see that one queer couple on the website, but what are they really doing? to change policy and to educate staff and all the things. So, yeah. Exactly. What I liked about this doctor too, even with my wife, when my wife and her just had a consultation, she still used like the, the right vocabulary for like specific parts. It wasn't like, oh, I have to change now. Or like, it's it wasn't, it's very impressive to see that it's not just something like, oh, I'm just going to temporarily use specific language to make you comfortable. No, it's just, we can have more inclusive language regardless. Yeah, 100% who we're working working with. 100%. Okay, let's do it. Obviously, the financial part has to kind of go through. That's what I was going to ask about because you're basically, like you're doing like reciprocal IVF. Yes. In a technical way, right? Yes. And that's not cheap. So like, so how, what, what's that like? What's the situation around that? So initially we were like, okay, let's just make sure I can freeze my eggs because mm-hmm. with testosterone, we just don't know what the implications are and what's going to happen. It's okay, we're going to take that financial hit. It is what it is, but hey, we we both care about this. We want to have a family. Mm -hmm. But then, because I was working in a different place and my employer at that time was completely covering IVF, egg freezing, progeny. Gotta love progeny. Progeny, yeah, that's the one. That's the one. Progeny (laughs) is the insurance that really is actually inclusive for our community. Yes. Yes. Progeny rocks. Yes. Progeny Progeny rocks. rocks. Okay. So you had progeny and then what? I didn't know I had progeny. I didn't even know what progeny was. I was just like, you know, the conversation we kind of had with the financial advisor of the clinic was like, maybe we can shave off some costs because it could be considered like uh, necessary for like bottom surgery and and, then so on. Maybe we can kind of like make a case in my situation. Oh, I get it. So saying I have to, we have to freeze the eggs because we're, I'm going to head into bottom surgery and we want exactly, to. Exactly. Right. That's what I was hoping. I, we did not have the exact numbers at that point. Mm-hmm. Right. So we're just like, okay, no matter what it is, we're going to go through it because this is important to us. I emailed them my insurance and 
the financial coordinator calls me back right away and she's like, did you know you have progeny? You just need to activate your account. And it's like, what does this progeny have to do with anything? Uh, but, you know, and then I called them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I called them and they're just like, yeah, we covered this and this and this. And it's like, wait a second. So you're telling me I could get all of this once I hit my deductible? Wow. Yeah. We are very, very lucky uh, because we hit our deductible very fast. Wow. Uh, and everything was covered. That's amazing. Wow. Yeah, progeny. Go ahead, progeny. Yes. So then did you do it? Did you go forward? Yes, I uh, finished in uh, in May, as I said. May was uh, the deadline. I'm done. I was for 12 days, I think, on hormones. Mm-hmm. I did not have to stop testosterone. Got to stay on it. That was going to be my question. Yes, yes. Okay. I personally stopped for a month. Because I'm one of the speakers, like, we don't have the data, what's going to happen, I don't know, even though it's irrational, but I was like, if I can do anything for, I know, the future offsprings of our family to be perfect, as they will, will be no matter what, I will do it. Right. But that can come with some detrimental costs to your well-being going yes. on. Testosterone. Yes. I mean, a couple of things, you know, when, when I reflect back to that experience that kind of come up to me. One. I'm definitely doing the procedure now at this age and time in my life. I'm definitely more comfortable with the body that I have, with Mm -hmm. who I am. So a month of being off testosterone did not affect my mood that much. Oh, that's good. What I did notice, I was able to cry again. For some reason, I am somebody who feels, I'm not ashamed to cry, but it's very hard for me to cry because of, and I think because of the testosterone or what I notice. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, instead of crying, I get like, I feel anger more, mm. but then being off for a, a month, I was able to cry for shows, which, which was great, which was really great. It was very happy. <laughs> <laughs> it's nice to cry in movies, right? <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. I noticed that I had maybe like a day or two where I, I felt very much in my head, mm. nothing too major, nothing too too dark, which again, I'm very lucky about that. I think also the process itself. So let me kind of backtrack and explain a bit what the, that involves. Mm-hmm. So you have to kind of administer yourself medication, which mm-hmm. are hormonal based to kind of get those eggs to grow. Yeah. And before like they can follicle be, stimulating hormones. Yes. Before right. they can yeah be, be extracted and, and all of that. And you have to also go through like checkups almost every other day until you have the procedure where they extract it. So initially, you know, kind of going into that space, which in my mind was just like, oh no, this is like a very female-dominated field, which, you know, it is what it is, but it also like could potentially trigger me into like thinking differently, being differently Mm. whatsoever. Now I was lucky because I was using a clinic, the clinic in Brooklyn, which I already felt much more comfortable just looking kind of around because you just had diversity of people. Mm Mm-hmm. It didn't feel very much like, oh, this is just, you know, for these type of people or these type yeah. of people. It, it just like automatically made me, me uh, feel more comfortable. Mm-hmm. Then from the point of view from like the staff, my biggest fear was just like getting the looks, getting the that those unspoken looks. But that didn't happen. The receptionist, which I wish I would know her name because I feel like she knows my name and it's rude <laughs> not to know someone else's name, but that's a different story. <laughs> but at some point, I just walk in and she's like, I got you checked in. I don't even have to ch- check in. I don't have to explain why I'm there. So that elevates a lot of like my anxiety. It just like mm-hmm. makes me feel much more comfortable. The blood work was like 
super okay, nothing too crazy. And throughout the checkups, my doctor, she asked me how I would feel with like transvaginal ultrasound. And Mm -hmm. I was like, can we avoid that? I didn't ask, but I was like, not great. But if you need the data, I'll give you the data. You know, sure, I'll do everything I I need to do to get this done. One time and done. Right. Would it have been ideal? Probably not. No. And because those, I mean, you know, like a typical cycle, like I did a couple IVFs and you're getting those transvaginal ultrasounds like every other day. Yep. Yeah. And that can be very triggering because, you know, you don't really deal with that part. Like I, I, that's a part of myself that I don't really deal with that Mm -hmm. like kind of reminds me with a a part that I do not identify. Mm -hmm. And yet you're kind of being forced through that. But not force. Force is a big word here. You are asked to go through that. Yeah. But the beauty of my doctor, again, I, I'm a big fan of my doctor. So good. <laughs> the beauty of her, she was, okay, we can do like an uh, abdominal ultrasound. You could just kind of go through that. Mm-hmm. And they did it and they could see everything like abdominally. So I didn't have to go through that, That's which made great. me made me so much more comfortable. I wasn't triggered. I wasn't going through any anything. It was just like, okay, in in and out, you know, get the data. We know what to do. This is the medication kind of moving forward. That's great. So throughout the process, everything was great. I didn't feel too dysphoric. I, I did feel at some point, maybe in the space itself, where, you know, you just kind of feel it around it. Mm-hmm. But it wasn't anything that kind of happened because of something or it was someone. It was more like, a reminder you were in this space now and you know something is happening maybe it was hormonal yeah but even just that just the fact that you're in that space can be the dysphoria right just yeah the f- it can be triggering yeah that makes total sense and that's something that needs to be thought of by these clinics and the medical staff that are supposed to be inclusive of the trans community right and that's why with, with my clinic uh, which they're again, like they're kind of like informed with like all the resources they have from like Mount Sinai. They're like working very hard to like make sure you feel comfortable. I did not feel I th- there wasn't anything that was done to me that would trigger me. Put put it differently, I was being checked on. I, I felt that as a patient, somebody like took good care of me. That's great. Somebody checked in on me. Somebody made sure that not just the medical side uh, is okay, but like I as a person, I am okay. Mm-hmm. And this is a thing that everybody at home, everybody, we all deserve that. You all deserve it at home. Yeah. You know, the more I think about uh, my, my doctors and also I do not work for them or anything. I'm not being paid to say this, <laughs> but uh, I do want to highlight the type of care that I have received where I feel like I'm being involved in my, in my choices. Mm-hmm. I feel like I'm being, having a conversation from equal to equal. It's not like I'm the doctor, I know best and you're being dismissed. Like, no, my experience is actually being taken seriously, and it, there's a conversation. Great. So that's also important. Mm-hmm. So I go for the two weeks. That was it. Was okay, and then the day of the retrieval comes in. Mm-hmm. Scariest part. Scariest, yeah. absolutely scariest part because that's that's it. I have to be on full display there. I have to be very vulnerable. Now it's not going to go dominantly this time. No. This time I'm all exposed. Yeah. And I, again, the staff was super great. Like even the anesthesiologist, like we had some small talk. Uh, The nurse probably saw that I was like very anxious in that moment. And in my head, like checked on me like twice. It was like, are you okay? Everything fine, which was nice. Doctor came in and I just remember like 
she didn't just like jump right in. And so she just like came in to like say hello, to like talk to me, make sure I'm comfortable. And as as I was laying there waiting for the anesthesia to kick in, which mm. for some reason it did not kick in fast <laughs> enough. <laughs> <laughs> as I was waiting there, I was thinking, I was like, you know what? There's so many trans people who don't even know they have this option because mm. the myth in our community is very much you start testosterone and you're infertile. Like there's no chance to have, you know, children, your biological children. Mm-hmm. And I was thinking about it. I was like, wow, this this was actually a good experience for me. and maybe someone else should like know about it. Maybe they should just know there is an option out there that even though you went underwent that you have gone for like testosterone for like so long that you can still have the option to like retrieve your eggs or like maybe even carry your children or so on. Like yeah. you have, basically there's options. That's, yeah. that's what I was thinking. And as I'm saying that, I just fall asleep. And then I wake up and I'm telling, telling afterwards the nurse, that uh, I want to do this. And then I was like, oh, no, I'm, I think I'm high. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. So they put you to sleep for the egg retrieval. Yes, yes. That's me too. And some places don't, they don't put you to sleep. They just like sedate you so you can't feel that you're still awake. I, that doesn't sound fun to me. I don't think I would have liked that option. No, no, <laughs> no. I can't imagine. Um, okay. So you wake up, you're high, you're telling the nurse all your plans in your future. Yeah, and she's very supportive. She's like, you will do this. You will do this, sure. (laughs) And you you, are. And you are. Yep. And then what? What'd you find out? And then she shows me the number of my dirty eggs that I got. Uh, I got 30 eggs. Very lucky. Whoa! That's a lot. Yeah, 25 that are still uh, usable. They are uh, frozen and safe in Brooklyn. Yeah, I, I was very, very happy about that. And I I just felt super great after after it. I don't know if it was... Also, a mental thing that, you know, after years of asking this question and being denied the care or being misinformed, no, I did it. I did it, and I did not succumb to uh, a government that tells you, hey, you know, this is how we want you to live. I made my own choice about my own reproductive care, and that was important for me. So maybe I felt really euphoric about uh, about that moment, too. Next day, I was bloated. I was bloated. I hated yeah. being bloated. Yeah. But that oh, happens. Right. Yeah. Because you don't really and, experience that so much. And I was counting the days when I can go back to working out. I was like, okay, two weeks, two <sighs> weeks, come on. I can do this two weeks. Yeah, yeah, I get that. For me, it was also hard to not be able to be active, to kind of like release a bit of that tension. Mm-hmm. I have good coping mechanisms, like I journal, I meditate, things like that, that kind of help me through the process. And I try to kind of ground myself into like, okay, this is like a two-week experience where it's almost like a vacation from activities where mm-hmm. I get to stay at home, read, watch movies, and, <laughs> you know, have positive thoughts or something. <laughs> and that kind of got me through the process, you know. Good for you. I don't even have those coping mechanisms. I exercise, like, religiously. It's my, it's my therapy, and that was hard for me. And I didn't have your good coping skills. So I just, like, complained to my wife all the time about... I did that too, but she was like, dessert. <laughs> I'm so, okay. <laughs> okay, that's great. So you have 25 frozen eggs sitting on ice in Brooklyn. And where are you two at now? Like, what's the plan? TBD, to be honest. We're still trying to figure out, like, what's, what's going on? What's, what are the next steps? My wife's also using progeny and going for egg freezing because... 
we're in our thirties and we just, you know, we have this option, might as well take it. I love that. Yeah. And when it comes to like the other part, that is still a part that we're trying to figure out what's the best way for us to kind of move forward. Are we going to use a known donor, donor, uh, maybe, you know, someone else that mm-hmm. is still to be determined. We're not a place to have children yet because mm-hmm. I'm planning to, to apply to like grad school. Mm-hmm. So kind of want to wait after that and then start eventually this beautiful family of ours. That's amazing. And you're just reiterating a point I bring up all the time on this show that we are so intentional with our family building. You have already gone down the path of freezing your eggs. Your wife is freezing hers and you're not even ready to start making the family yet. That's how intentional. And that's how early on we start planning. I just, I like to just highlight that every time I hear it because there's some ignorant folks out there who think we shouldn't be parents and um, they couldn't be farther from the truth because of the story you just told me and how long you've been thinking about this and how much you did to get to the point you are at right now. And it's freaking beautiful. And I just want to highlight that. Thank you. And yes, yes. My wife and I, we've been definitely very inspired by by this show too, because uh, when we started like talking about, okay, what are the next steps? How do we want to 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 look at this? Well, let's see what how other people are doing. You know, mm-hmm. especially when it comes to like a question like, who are we gonna use as a donor? Mm-hmm. How are we gonna navigate this? How do you navigate the legal aspect? How do you navigate? There's just so many aspects. A friend of ours uh, recommended the show, so it was nice to like see that to to have that maybe the visibility to some extent. Maybe yeah, yeah. We're not seeing you, but we're hearing you, and we know it's out there. Yeah. And there are other folks who've gone down the path. So why not hear the stories? Because representation really does matter. Yes. And you you don't necessarily know a path unless you've heard about it or seen it done before you. So that's why it's important we tell these family stories. Even with the, the entire testosterone in my, my own journey, I was thinking about before, you know, having the chance to actually have medical providers who would give me that information I was looking online and there's nothing. There's just, you know, misinformation. There's not a lot of research or, or anything where people can like know and get informed. So I was thinking, well, if I went through this process, probably there's so many other people who also don't have the knowledge or the information that it is possible. Yeah. And so I'm grateful to you for coming on and telling that story. And I think you're going to help some folks. So that's amazing. And I'm so excited. Now I'm invested. I can't wait to hear how this donor search goes. You know, I know, you know how I feel about the donor search. It's the search for Superman. Here we go. And there's a (laughs) lot of decisions to make. I'm here for you if you ever need me. Thank you. I'm invested. So you got to keep me posted. Will do. Will do. Will do. I mean, we'll hear from you. So send me updates. Let me know. And um, I'm just so excited to know you and to consider you part of the queer family squad over here. I also want to say thank you. Thank you for having me on the show. And uh, thank you for letting me uh, share my story and uh, making, you know, a lot of uh, noise for advertisers there. (laughs) (laughs) Good for it. I know. We should get them to sponsor this episode. (laughs) I I know, right? These shows so shit. (laughs) I am working on it. I'm working on it. We'll see. Oh, my God. Amazing. This is TBD because uh, we're going to hear more. I'm very excited. I'm excited for you. Yeah. Send in baby dust, even though it's like further down the line. I'm still sending it. <laughs> <laughs> we'll take it. We'll take it. And anything we can get. Queer 
Well, folks, I hope you enjoyed that episode as much as I enjoyed it. And if you did enjoy it, feel free to listen to another or watch another. I have so many episodes for your listening or viewing pleasure. Just go pick one and and enjoy. There's a lot. There really is. And also, if you really do like this show, please, I know I say it all the time, but please do consider supporting the show on Patreon. You're just going to go to patreon.com slash the queer family podcast. You're going to pick a tier. You're going to join and you're going to get that bonus content. And you're also going to get my love and adoration for the rest of my life. (laughs) I love you all. Thanks for tuning in. Keep on tuning in and I'll see you next time. Mwah.